QUT acknowledges that Turrbal and Yugara as the First Nations owners of the lands where QUT now stands. We pay respects to their elders, laws, customs and creation spirits. We recognise that these lands have always been places of teaching, research and learning. QUT acknowledges the important role Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people play within the QUT community. And here at How To Academia, we also acknowledge that these lands have never been ceded. Welcome to How To Academia. Leaving high school and joining the world of uni can be a weird and difficult time, but on this podcast, we talk to our friends, students and academics, to find out how they went about the process of developing professional skills, dealing with challenges, and generally navigating the gooey mess of being human in the academic world. This is part two of a very long conversation that I had with Jody. Part one covers different topics, so you're welcome to listen to this as a standalone episode. The broad theme of this episode is how to have difficult conversations, like how to give feedback to a lecturer, having respectful and curious discussions with people we disagree with, and how and when to speak truth to power. We also have a message. If you have any feedback, queries, or complaints about something raised on any of our episodes, we want to hear from you. We're committed to having tough conversations, and we want to hear if you disagree. You can email our producer, Jody, at the address listed in the show notes. Lastly, we reference the episodes featuring Kelly Richards and Danielle Watson. So if you're curious, go and check those out too. When you're editing these podcasts, and generally in life, academics are going to say things that you disagree with. Often. Excellent. (laughs) How do you process that? So I feel like part of the reason we wanted to do this podcast today was to like think about and process the first two podcasts because there are a bunch of spicy ideas that Danielle brought up and that Kelly brought up. So if you haven't gone and listened to those, listen to those now, otherwise you're going to be missing some context. I think it's hard because particularly as a researcher and as a person with a scientific background, both of my parents were sciencey people, I'm very conscious of my bias. And I'm very conscious that when I hear someone say something that I disagree with, my usual response is to go, ugh, that person's wrong. And then to immediately turn around on that feeling and go, why do you think that? Mm. What's going on there? Why Why is this giving you this immediate disgust response? Is this just a place that you haven't thought very hard about before? Like, do you just feel this way because you're unfamiliar? Does it directly conflict with something that you know? Where do you know that from? Like a lot of things, I think, when we think back in our minds, you, you kind of get this thing like like source amnesia. You're like, oh, I'm sure I know this thing. I've read it somewhere. But you, if you don't really remember where you read it and it's not validated anywhere, it can be a bit of a problem. I feel like I wanted to from your question a little bit. That's okay. What you've done is do a very beautiful head-level analytic job of that <laughs> skill of turning around and questioning something. But there is a certain... I guess emotional response that comes and it mm. must come like the because you work in a quite contentious area mm-hmm. like sexual violence is has a whole diverse range of things where people say things publicly mm. that make us go no not that Ugh. yeah and i imagine that you know students have this reaction to things that we say so Mm. how do you process that 
thing that just makes you, well, frankly, often makes me want to murder people, which is not a mature academic response at all, but is a drive that we acknowledge. How do you process that? Often I'll just whinge about it to someone else. Just whinge to the closest person who I know will understand the way that I feel is usually the first part of that process after feeling angry and riled up. I don't think I've ever gone up to a lecturer or an academic and been like, that was wrong, that was inappropriate. I think my approach is often to quietly seethe, which is not a very healthy approach. (laughs) I'm like, I don't feel like that's very helpful. But I'm also not, I also don't necessarily think that is your approach in that I think one of your skill sets is around discussing ideas Mm -hmm. in ways that are productive. And I've seen, I mean, I've seen you do it in lectures. I've seen you as a lectorial assistant Mm -hmm. challenge Mm -hmm. ideas so what's your process in going through that? Well, I mean, that, that's a really good example because when I'm in lecture, when I'm, I've, I've given exactly two lectures in my whole life and both of them are the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever done. Uh, and I've given two tutorials where I've led a discussion in front of a group of uni students, which, again, very scary. In all those situations, I was in a role where my job was to be impartial mm. and to promote critical thought. And in that space, it's not usually very emotional. I can feel emotional later about it, but if someone... So I, I, I did a seminar around rape, sexual violence, consent, and how heterosexual norms underpin consent. So that gendered, masculine, assertive, aggressive, pushy thing and the feminine coy but secretly wants it thing and how that creates the, condi- the preconditions for rape. And there were some students in that class who said some pretty spicy things that I felt pretty uncomfortable about. They were like, you know shouldn't men be allowed to blah, blah, blah? Or when women say no, shouldn't you be allowed to push past blah, blah, blah? Because that's the way that they understood their norms. And that was really difficult. But I think that especially when I'm in that professional role, for me it's relatively easy to set aside the way that I feel because I'm focusing on what that person is saying. And I approach it instead of with, instead of being informed by how I feel, I approach it with curiosity. I'm like, that's really interesting what makes you say that. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I found really confronting, uh, we were talking about consent, and I was getting the students to rank sexual violence experiences from consent on one end to violent on the other end, which is kind of a trap of a spectrum. (laughs) But I said at one point one of the students was like, oh, having sex with someone while they're unconscious, like passed out drunk unconscious. I would put that all the way down to violent. And I was like, okay, fantastic. I put it on the board. So does anyone disagree with that? And I had a student raise their hand and said, yeah, I wouldn't call that violent. And I was like, interesting, what makes you say that? And he's like, well, you know, there's not necessarily any physical force. Like in that moment when he said it's not violent, I was like, oh, God, where are we about to go? I'm so fucking nervous. I so so don't want to have this conversation. But I was in front of a group of students and I was like, that's interesting. Why, Why do you think that? Tell me about that. They said, well, you know, an unconscious person, you're probably not going to punch them. You're not going to whatever. It's probably going to (sighs) be, yeah, relatively non-forceful. And I said, well, how about this? If we erase this bottom word, if we, instead of going from consent to violent, what if we went from consensual to non-consensual? Where would you put it then? And he goes, oh, absolutely non-consensual. That's not okay. So I think sometimes, like, digging a little bit deeper Mm. into what someone thinks can help you 
understand where they're coming from because sometimes you're not actually sometimes you're not misunderstanding you're just missing context Mm. and you're missing where that person is coming from so i guess from your mind when students are sitting down and they hear something in a podcast Mm -hmm. that irks them and they find difficult which is i want to normalize that i want to say that we don't all have to agree and conversations are difficult and one of the reasons that we're having these conversations between mm. us is mm. to kind of normalise this notion that we don't all mm. agree and how do we work through that. Mm. So a student sitting down listening to podcasts and something irks them, how would you advise they respond? It's interesting because I think that, like, when I listened to those first couple of episodes with Danielle and with Kelly, there were some things that I disagreed with but I didn't feel super emotional about them. I wasn't like, oh, I'm so angry, oh, I'm so pissed off. For me, one of the things that I felt frustrated about was when Danielle said, if you have a problem with a lecturer, you should tell them and it's their responsibility to manage that emotional response if they don't like it. Even if you think you're going to insult someone, you should just tell them. And I understand that from her perspective. Because from her perspective, she it must be so bloody frustrating to get to the end of a lecture series and have 10 students all say, we didn't understand your accent. She's like, I could have done something about that. That is advice that would have been helpful to you and also me at the beginning of this lecture, at this beginning of this semester, at the beginning of this lecture series. Especially because if there were 10 students giving that feedback, guaranteed there are 20 more students who couldn't be bothered providing that feedback. But I think that... For me, when I listened to that first, my response, my gut response was that fundamentally misunderstands the power relationship between a lecturer and a student. As I said at the start, like, lecturers felt like a star in my sky. I think that makes it really difficult approaching a lecturer and being like, hey, I don't understand your accent. Especially because I don't understand your accent is inches away from something that you could consider extremely racist. (sighs) When Danielle was having that conversation with you, did that raise any flags for you because that was my immediate response but I don't know if as an academic who's been an academic for ages if that raised anything for you. The thing that I loved about the conversation with Danielle was there was so many I guess layers of power Mm. and complexities and at core I think an intrinsic life skill in the justice professions is being able to bring difficult information to someone who may or may not be in a position that has more power than you because I think if you are bringing information to someone who is in a less powerful position for you, for example, when I was a child protection worker removing children, I was going out in a position of power and in that situation you don't expect people to respond well And so you go in with a different expectation, which gives you a different way. But nonetheless, you still I still had to separate from myself. If this person attempts to stab me or this person attempts to spit on me or this person gets really angry or this person cries uncontrollably, I still need to understand that there is a value in what I'm doing that is beyond their response. If you're taking something to someone who's in a position of power that is above you, that doesn't mean that your position is less valuable. Yeah. And that, for me, is the position that I hold that means that I can speak to organisations that hold power in the world, that I can say to institutions that could have direct impacts on my life that 
this situation is not okay. And that is intrinsically what we do as justice scholars and justice workers is that we challenge institutions. We work in institutions that won't always respond well to us critiquing them. And so finding that position where you can sit with everything may not work out perfectly justly and everything may not work out perfectly well and clearly an academic that responds poorly to a student bringing that kind of information should be addressed and there's some skill development going there. But my responsibility in that is to make sure that the message that I bring is as clear and respectful. I always remember the first child I removed was an Indigenous child we removed at birth, a little boy. And I remember being the white child protection worker walking into the room with this Aboriginal woman who'd just given birth, which is an incredibly difficult and emotional time. And all of her previous, I think, seven children had also been removed by the state. And I walk in with this knowledge around colonisation and the historic role of the state in disrupting Indigenous families and tearing apart the fabric of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. So I walk in with this knowledge going, I feel horrendous removing this child and I wish that it was not something that needed to happen, but it needs to happen in this situation. So how I do that is the only thing that is in my control. I can't control how she responds. I can only control how I do that. And the only choice that I could give to her in that situation was whether she placed the baby, his name is Jacob, whether she placed Jacob in the crib next to her bed for the nursing staff to take away or she handed him directly to me or she handed him directly to a nurse. And all I could do was stand there and patiently offer her those choices. I feel like that is a core lesson in learning to respond to people. And we will all be in positions where being in the justice sector, we have to learn to speak truth to power. And realistically, most of your academics are reasonable people and want to hear feedback that is potentially beneficial and productive. And there is, we are aware of the power imbalance and we recognise that it's difficult. And none of that, I guess, excuses or none of that really challenges or changes the kind of emotional reaction to the point that I'm in a less powerful position here and I don't really want to speak truth to power as a first year, second year, third year. I don't. I still don't want to speak truth <laughs> to power. Can I just tell you, like, I'm a long way into a career of trying to challenge dark networks in the Roman Catholic Church, which is an intrinsically powerful organisation, and I still don't want to do it. Like, I still feel really nervous around that. But it is a core skill that we have to have and learn to deal with, and this is a relatively safe environment to do mm-hmm. that because there are checks and balances yeah. Yeah. in place mm-hmm. to protect 
students, which I think is a long explanation to how did I respond to that. The same, you know, we and it's you know, it's this, it's, I guess it's the same when anyone of my colleagues says something that I disagree with. Mm. I will always have a moment. I think of that. Ooh, how do I deal with this? Mm-hmm. And we also, from the flip side of that, would much rather have a honest and real conversation with a student than deal with a complaint that had never yeah. come to us. And I think that's just part of being a professional mm-hmm. is learning how to have those conversations. Yeah. I agree. But I would very gently challenge that with my perspective. I, I agree that people need to learn to speak truth to power, especially in justice. Not everyone who does a justice degree is going into a justice profession and as such possibly doesn't need to learn that skill quite as urgently. And I'm also not entirely sure whether being a student, especially when you're in first and second year, is the time for you to learn that by speaking to a lecturer. I think that there are different contexts where you can learn that. I think it, I think people should. I think you should absolutely give feedback to your lecturer, and I think that you shouldn't be afraid if they get grumpy, especially because they're probably not grumpy because they're angry at you. They probably had a bad day. Like, if you got a response from a lecturer that's like, screw you, I'm very angry about this, on balance, chances are they, they had a bad day and just got a grand rejection that morning, not that they're particularly incensed by your one piece of feedback. Because I'm sure as an academic, you get tons of feedback in a bunch of different directions. You're not, you're not unfamiliar to it. You've had feedback before. One of the things that Kelly talked about in her interview with you was that she talked about she talked a bit about being wrong and how and and being ignorant and possibly not knowing something. She talked a lot about if you don't know something or if you're not really sure what the conversation's about. She talked a bit about having no problem being like, "Excuse my ignorance. What are we talking about? Excuse my ignorance. What what is this? What is this thing that we're doing just now? I don't understand this concept." And then she said a little bit later that it was easier to do that when she, when you have bronze. When you're already graduated from your undergrad, when you finish your bachelor, when you're already a PhD student, when you've graduated from your PhD, you've got the doctor title, when you're an associate professor, blah, blah, blah. The more letters that you have at the end of the name, the more other people are assured that you're pretty smart and that if you're ignorant in this one area, you're probably not ignorant everywhere. And I think that it's similarly true that when you are a first year, I'm not speaking for everybody because obviously everyone goes to uni at different times in their life, but for me... I came to uni straight out of high school. I was 17, Mm. and I really didn't have any runs on the board. I didn't have any academic chops. I didn't have any grades to lean on, and the grades that I did have eventually and over the course of that first year were first-year grades. Like, who cares what you did in Psych 1020? Like, no one cares that you got a 7 in a first-year course. That's not true. (laughs) We care about 7s in your first-year course. (laughs) No, no, no one thinks that just a seven in your first year course is enough to legitimize you as an academic or among academics. It does matter, but it matters in a different way. But I think you, you, we, we talked a little bit earlier about like how do you reconcile that, how do you process that, how do you figure it out. And I think for me, like hearing Danielle say, you know, you should definitely give feedback to your lecturer. And I felt like, oh, if you're really misunderstanding the power imbalance there. I thought about that, and I, I felt that like that little feeling of no, like that little that little voice that goes in your, in your gut that goes no, I, no, I don't like it. I don't, I don't agree. 
I heard that and I was like, okay, that's really interesting. And I thought a bit more about it and I thought, yeah, I think she is a misunderstanding of power imbalance. Yeah, it's possible it's possible that that is another thing that complicates that. Even though I do think that students should be able to talk to their lecturers and give feedback, that does make it a bit difficult, doesn't it? That does that does that is a barrier. That is a bit of a hurdle. And I think that I just kind of reconciled that those things were both true. That you should be able to give feedback to your lecturers and that it's hard. Yeah, 100% agree. <laughs> and there's so many of the issues that we unpack in justice is yeah. that both of these things are simultaneously true. Mm-hmm. And they don't cancel each other out mm-hmm. and they seem like they don't match, but... They're both intrinsically true, and this is the reality of what we yeah. deal with, and that's that's I think the nuanced position that is important. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing is that, like, in listening to that conversation that you had with Danielle, I imagined myself saying that to her. I was like, I imagine myself having a conversation with her and talking about that, and then saying, "But don't you think it's difficult? Don't you think the power imbalance makes it difficult?" And for Danielle, someone who is a black woman in a white society, understands that there are power imbalances in different places that make certain kinds of behavior and action difficult. She'd probably be like, yeah, you're right, it is hard. It can be scary to tell someone that you have negative feedback, you have criticism, who potentially wields power over your grades. That is scary. You know, I feel like she's the sort of person who would understand. And I think being able to do a little bit of that, just kind of having that moment of imagination instead of being like screw that person they're definitely wrong having a bit of imagination around what they might think about it if you raise this point with them or whether they would agree that that barrier exists or maybe she wouldn't maybe she'd be like no that that barrier doesn't exist that's not a real power imbalance you should you should buck up and do it anyway i'd be like oh well i don't agree and i think as i have in my in my old age in my old age of 28 as i've gotten older I've become more comfortable with other people being wrong in a way that doesn't, that I don't need to correct. I actually, <laughs> I'm going to challenge you on that because I feel like there's a part of you that does agree with the buck up and do it anyway element. It just doesn't sit particularly comfortably. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've heard you say that you should give feedback to lecturers, even though it's really difficult, mm-hmm. which is just a nice way of saying buck up and do it anyway. <laughs> I think buck up and do it anyway if it's pretty important to you. I think that I think that's possibly what goes into it. Like if a, if someone in your presence says two plus two equals five, you don't really have to go and correct it. No one cares. Also, everybody around you also knows that that person is wrong. So we have these different levels of importance. If you're listening to a lecture and you can't understand that accent, that might depending on how important that lecture is to you, depending on the quality of their lecture slides, you know, there there are some there are some things around that that mean you possibly don't need to go and give that feedback. But I've been in lectures where lecturers have said in, in, in a site context, this is more an undergrad, but lecturers have said very heteronormative, very problematic things. And I usually afterwards would, would speak to some of my mates in the lecture and be like, hey, you know, Professor whatever said this, what did you think of that? And we would often have a conversation where we'd be like, oh, well, you know, actually that fits in the literature in this way. Or we'd say, oh, actually that was cooked and that was really inappropriate and that's actually a really big problem. And in that situation, I would send an email and be like, hey, 
I thought this thing was was really sexist or this thing was really homophobic. That was deeply uncomfortable, mm. and I hated doing it. Mm. But because of my personal sense of justice, and I'm sure you and your in in the same situation, your personal sense of justice, like I felt like that was really important to do. I also think though it is in the like it's in the delivery. Yeah. That, like, if I get an email from a student that says you're sexist and <laughs> you're racist, sexist, racist and scum. Yeah. homophobic, I'm going to struggle to respond to that in a bit of a neutral way. But if I get an email from a student that says I experienced that or I felt like that or here's the literature that says what you said is sexist and homophobic and we can engage in a dialogue around that, I think that's way easier to process. And if someone lashes back, we offer to do a podcast with them <laughs> and say, great. Hey, guys, we're really keen to have mm. a conversation with you around. And if you have a particular reaction to something that is raised in a podcast and you want to talk to us, then email mm. Jody, yeah. and Jody will happily have a chat with you around unpacking some of these issues from your perspective and experience and that's one of the things that we hope these conversations will do is lead to more conversations and conversations I guess across perspectives because I'm not an expert in every area I don't know everybody's experience and I value the opportunity to unpack some of those perspectives. We want to hear from you here at How To Academia. You can email me. Tell us what you're thinking about the podcast. Tell me who you want to hear from in the faculty or anyone else in the whole wide world. I'll try and track them down. Thanks for listening. This podcast was hosted and produced by the excellent Dr. Jody Deeth. Editing by Kelsey Adams. That's me. Music by Pottington Bear. And this podcast was developed with support from the Queensland University of Technology. Thank you for listening.